Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. The angel called the babe that was to be born of Mary that holy thing. One of the mysteries of Christ's incarnation is how it was that he could be born a human being and yet not inherit the sinful expressions we find in our own flesh. Today we'll answer that question as best we can and see in the answer a promise for our own future perfection in Christ one day. How it is that sin has been passed on from one generation to the next generation to the next. There are a number of theologians who have determined that this pathway of sin can be traced all the way back to Adam, but not to Eve. It's from Adam that we get the sin nature. He passes it on to us. And by the way, the Bible blames Adam. The Bible blames Adam for your sin nature. And the question is, why is Adam blamed and not Eve? You'll read in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, an example of this. There, Paul writes, Sin came into the world through one man, one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 19 says, By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Again, you can go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, and you'll see this blame upon Adam heaping up. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die. The sentence of death came on us, not through Eve, but through Adam. He's getting all the blame. Adam set off, and his sin set off a chain reaction of sin to sin to sin that went from child to child to child. A nature that is come down upon all of us. The theologians have read these different passages of Scripture and determined that in some way, although it's a mystery, the sin nature is seminally set forward from father to child. That the connection is through the father's seed. There are other verses that illustrate this kind of patrimonial connection that children have to their fathers. Here's another one. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 argues that the Lord Jesus stands as a priest before all people in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was this mystery priest and king of Salem who is not addressed to us in any way having a mother or father. There are many theologians that believe that Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate expression of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Christ's priesthood is a priest that he has been made or he's come to us and Psalms tells us a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, and that this priesthood is greater than the Levitical priesthood, which was the priesthood that was set over the nation of Israel. And at the time in which the book of Hebrews was written, it was the priesthood that ruled over the worship of the house of Israel in the temple. And the people were wondering if maybe when they turned into Christianity that they were moving away from those great and wonderful expressions that had been given to the nation of Israel, and they were taking a step down, you might say, because Christianity didn't have all of the different, didn't hold or didn't make necessary or place the demands of all these ordinances of the temple upon themselves. The author of Hebrews writes to say, no, listen, you have something far greater, far more wonderful in your Christian faith. Among other things, you have a high priest that precedes and is greater than the Levitical priest. You have Christ who has come to us after the order of Melchizedek. The author points all this out and he makes his argument this way. 
he points out that Levi, who was a priest, that his great-great-grandfather Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, and that the high priest Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And he points out that the one who blesses is greater than the one who's blessed. And the one who tithes is lesser than the one he tithes to. He gives his tithe to. And that somehow, then he says, this act is identified with Levi in such a way that Levi is as well lesser than Melchizedek. Let me read you the verses. We'll read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll go to verse 9. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And now he'll go on to speak of this continual priesthood, and he gives some expression of the reality of this blessing that comes upon Abraham, and Abraham giving his tithe, and puts them in the proper order, and then he writes... Even Levi, who is the father of the Levitical priesthood, even Levi, who receives tithes from you, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now there's the key phrase. He was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. The point of the author is that Levi is identified with Abraham's act because he is in Abraham having come from Abraham's loins, and so his priesthood is lesser than Melchizedek's priesthood, than the Lord Jesus' priesthood. Kind of a complicated theological argument, but here's the idea that's lying behind it. Here in this place, we're recognizing that somehow there is this seminal connection that brings spiritual identity to an individual. What's being stated here is an argument that fits within this argument of why it is that we get our sin from Adam and not from Eve, that from the Father's seed to the children, we receive our spiritual as well as our sinful natures. We inherit from our fathers right up to Adam and down this pulp, this body, this flesh that is infected with sin. Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapters 8 talk about this body that is infected with sin. Paul will address it in a number of different ways. And when he speaks to this body that is infested with sin, he'll refer to it as our bodies, he'll refer to it as our flesh, he'll refer to it as our members. Some of our translations have taken the phrases where it says our flesh and have Phrase that, our sin natures, it's unfortunate because really what's being discussed there is just our bodies. Our bodies ravished and infected by sin. And this is what we have inherited from our first father, Abraham. It is the physical stuff that we are made of. It is this stuff that is touched with the tendency, with a leaning, with an impulse to sin. Paul writes about his body in Romans chapter 7. Here's a man that we should aspire after. He's someone whose service to Christ is like none of ours, and we should long to be like Paul in that way. But Paul, when he describes his body, this body that he had inherited, 
He describes the substance of his human body. In Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he calls his body a body of death. It's a body that produces in him actions that are contrary to the will of God. It's a body that produces in him actions that are contrary to even what it is that God has given and put in his heart to do for God and what he wants to do for God, and he finds it working against him. It fights against his own born-again desires to live for Christ. Paul describes it as a receptacle for the principles or the law of sin to be roiling around within him that goes against the will of God. So that Paul says in that same chapter, I know that there is nothing good dwelling in me that is in my flesh, that is in my body. And that's the body that Paul got from his father. All the way back to Adam. It's the body that was made by God, but was broken by sin and is laced with sin's impulses. And now this is the body that you've received as well. And what your children have received from their fathers. Wives, now when you have the argument, you know, did you come from your side of the family? Or you can breathe a sigh of relief, it's your husband's fault. (laughs) We've all been born into Paul's same circumstances with the same body. Here's what one Christian author, one Christian thinker by the name of Newman writes about this. He wrote this, Adam, before his fall, felt, we may suppose, love, fear, hope, joy, dislike, just as we now do, but then He only felt these things when he ought and as he ought. But at the fall, this beautiful order and peace was broken up. The same passions remained, but their use and their actions were changed. They rushed into extremes, sometimes excessive, sometimes the reverse. Indignation was corrupted into wrath, self-love into selfishness. Self-respect became pride, and an aspiring heart became a jealous and envious heart. And thus man's soul became a chaos and needed a new creation. And that's us. And that's our bodies. And that's what we receive from our fathers. And so it is for all of us who are born of the seed of men. But Jesus was not born of the seed of man. He wasn't. His coming is by the highest power of the Holy Spirit, as was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He is the seed of the woman. Do you see this in Scripture? No father involved. He is the seed of the woman. We come by our sinful nature from our fathers, and Christ came by His perfect holy nature from His Father, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He came in flesh to us to be born by the agency of the Holy Spirit. He is not of the seed of man, and so he bears not the seminal nature of our sin. This is the explanation. It makes perfect sense. It lines up with what Scripture says. He is the one human who is born a holy thing, and all is beautifully in order in his life. Everything in his nature is peace, and as a result, his life upon the earth is peace on earth. Everything that was put out of order in our lives through our bodies and through the nature that we inherited from our fathers, everything that is expressed that's out of order in life was in perfect order in his life. All of those impulses, when put in the right in order, are good and lovely and beautiful. Those impulses of love and fear and hope and joy and even dislike, all of these perfectly expressed And that holy thing. He is the perfect humanity 
that the world needed and needs. This nature, this holy, sinless humanity is what one day we who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ are promised we shall completely and fully be dressed in. We shall completely and fully give expression to. This is our promise. Right now we wrestle. The Bible says we wrestle not with flesh and blood. It's true. We wrestle with demonic powers all around us. But folks, I also wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle. We struggle with the impulses of sin in our own lives. We struggle with this body that we've inherited. John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, speaking of our Lord Jesus, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. The Bible even tells us that God's great goal for us, His great desire is to conform us into the image of His Son, he begins that work upon our lives the minute we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, but He will continue that work all the way up until we are exalted before His presence in heaven. There is holiness in all aspects and all complete fullness waiting for us, and we shall receive every mark of it when we fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus one day because we will see that holy thing with our eyes and be transformed in a moment. This child born not of human seed, but born wholly of the Holy Spirit, can be born in us and raise up in us his own holy life. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. If you'd like a copy of this message, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you and Merry Christmas.